Good morning, Facebook family. Good morning, church family. Um, this isn't exactly how we had planned um, to gather together this morning. This isn't exactly how we had uh, planned to present the word this morning. Um, as many of you know, we had originally planned to have a um, outside drive-in type service today. Um, letting people pull up lawn chairs, we were going to broadcast and let everybody kind of fellowship in an outdoor setting to kind of move into that missional community format as a way for us to kind of uh, say goodbye to the past season and embrace a new season of ministry and a new season of church and a new season, uh, a new way to go about doing ministry. Um, but her hurricane, or rather tropical storm, Cristobal, has kind of thrown a wrench in our plan um, because obviously with the weather right here in Waveland uh, gathering together outside um, would have been an impossibility and very impractical and we all would have looked like drowned rats coming out of uh, that service so um, we all got rebaptized, <laughs> um, and that's really not what we wanted to do so we just uh, kind of postponed our um, gathering back together in our first service and we will be having that next week um, we're going to be having that at Wayne and Christine Moran's property um, someday this week uh, either later on today or tomorrow I will post the address and then later on in the week we'll post a reminder um, we're going to have a service at their property uh, maybe even baptize um, some folks in their pool um, so that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful gathering together. And that'll be next Sunday, July 4, or June 14th, I'm sorry. Um, and again, I do apologize uh, for this last-minute transition and focus, but, you know, sometimes necessity mandates that we do different things. I actually had someone on the phone yesterday, a friend, and uh, <laughs> was talking, and he laughed, and he said, I can't wait to see what new plague or global catastrophic event takes place when you do this new church launch because you know we attempted to launch our church and we had the coronavirus last year we did a baptism out outreach and we had hurricane barry and it just seems like every attempt we make to do something there's some catastrophic event that takes place uh, we had some beach events that were canceled by the cyanobacteria or the blue green algae so it's every time that we go to do something there was a major event and they laughed and they said i just can't wait to see what global catastrophic event takes place uh, when you uh, progress to do a church plant over in long beach and i thought that was very humorous but anyway um, with all that being said, we are going to continue um, to press on and to press through. We're not going to let a little bit of rain and bad weather stop us from preaching the gospel um, and gathering together in any format. Um, and if Facebook is all we have, um, like what we had through the COVID uh, pandemic, then Facebook is what we have and we're going to make the best of it. So we're just going to present the gospel in this online format. And I hope that you guys can tune in and, and join together with us. Um, uh, with that being said, I do love you guys, and I am thankful for your um, patience and for bearing with us through this transition process and through, you know, all the hiccups and the learning curves and everything that we've been experiencing. So, you know, God bless you. I love you guys, and I am extremely thankful. With that being said, we are going to press in today. We're going to continue the series that we started up last Sunday on what I call uh, shoe leather theology or making uh complex uh, theolo theological 
uh, principles and doctrines and terms and kind of taking them down to a more simple level and showing the practicality of theology. Um, I always go back to that reference to say, you know, I heard that country preacher in Tennessee say, you know, I need a shoe leather gospel, a gospel that I can walk out in my everyday life. And, and I think that that's true. And I also think that we need to have a shoe leather theology, an understanding of God that we can walk out and that benefits us in our everyday life. And remember last week when we talked about the immutability or the unchangingness of God, the unchangeableness of God, we talked about how that can help us and bless us in so many ways because we know that if His promises are the same yesterday, they're the same today and they'll be the same forever. We know that the things that He taught, the things that Jesus ministered, the way that the whole gospel set up, if it was true then that it's true now and that prevents any new heretical teaching to come into our life and so we've learned that the immutability and the unchangeableness of God has very practical applications to our everyday life and so often as we mentioned last week we kind of get in this um, one or an, one or other um, and we kind of get this mutually exclusive mindset where we say okay I need either to be really really smart and know all the things or um, I don't need to know that much and I just need to do so you've got knowers and you've got doers, and so you've got big heads with little hearts or you've got big hearts with little heads. And, and I said that we need to kind of get rid of that mutual exclusivity and we need to come together and find that balance to where we know the gospel and we know the truths of the word and we know the theology and we know some of these things, but we don't just know them, we actually do them. We apply them, we carry out the word. James says that doers of the word are blessed and not hearers only. So. We need to understand that it's not a um, one or another, it's a both and. And so we need the theology, we need the doctrine, we need the proper teaching, but we also need the application and the pragmatism and we need the carrying out of the gospel. And so that's the, the whole method, the whole idea behind shoe leather theology is just a theology that we can carry out, a theology that we can practice. And so I hope that you guys are going to enjoy this series. You know, like I said, last week was about immutability. This week I'm going to address two things. I'm going to talk about the incomprehensibility and the uncontainability of God. That God is both incomprehensible and God is both un and uncontainable. And so those two terms are pretty complex, but one is that God just simply means that God cannot be fully known and the other one is that God cannot be contained. And so as we dig into this, I want to pray. I want to pray over the message. I want to pray over you for hearing the message. And if you would, if you're gathered with us together, I want you to pray over me that I would present the gospel and present it clearly and effectively. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. God, I know that we had other plans and there was a curveball thrown in, but Lord Jesus, that curveball um, or crystal ball, the tropical storm didn't take you by surprise. You knew that it was coming and you knew the steps that we would have to take to um, transition and move around and adapt to that unexpected event. So Lord Jesus, I'm just praying that this would be a blessing to everyone that he would hear this message. I'm praying that this would be an effective tool to minister the gospel. I'm praying that the word would go forth in spirit and in truth and that it would create an impact and a change and a practical, applicable move in their hearts and minds. And Lord Jesus, I would pray for myself also that I would communicate your word clearly and effectively, Lord Jesus. And I would pray that this would all be for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. In all things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright guys, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 to start off. Um, this is kind of just a, a passage that I pulled out. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. And it just simply says, 
after Paul gets through with his most famous definition, some of the most beautiful words ever written in verses 4 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, he gets into this next um, aspect of it. And he talks about, in verse 8, he talks about the fact that love never goes away. Love never fails. It never quits. It never stops. But then he says, if there's prophecy or if there's tongues or if there's knowledge, those things will cease, but love will not cease. And he goes into verse 9. He says, for we know in part, not the whole, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that's a reference to the second coming of Christ. I know that some people will take this and they'll, um, get into a theological debate and try to shift this to support their uh, doctrinal alignment and they'll say the perfect is the reference to the canonization of the word but that's not true and here's why because he says when the perfect comes the partial will be done away when I was a child I used to speak as a child and think like a child and reason like a child but when I became a man or an adult I did away with the childish things for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face so if he was talking about the perfect this word, this Bible, doesn't have a face. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. And he's saying when we see Jesus face to face, we'll no longer know in part or impartial, but we'll know him fully because we see him in face to face. And he says, for now we see in a mirror, the word is as a mirror, and we see dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the reason I pulled this passage out in talking about the incomprehensibility of God is because I wanted you guys to see that right now in this life, in this body, we cannot fully know God. We cannot know the entirety of God and everything that is contained by God. We cannot. That's why we say God is incomprehensible. Now this isn't to be confused with... Uh, the agnosticism or being an agnostic. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to evangelize to someone, but they'll say, you know, I'm an agnostic, meaning, and they use it to say, well, I believe in God, but I just don't know who God is or I don't know what God is. And the true doctrine of agnosticism is, is that God cannot be known at all. They'll say, because you can't know God in his entirety, then you can't know anything about God. And that's not true because we have natural revelation, which Romans 1 talks about, where we can know God through the trees and through the, his creation. We can see the glory of God in the sunrise. We can see the glory of God in a rainbow. We can see the glory and the beauty of God. And watching our children grow up, there's natural things that we can see and we can get a revelation or an unveiling of who God is, of an aspect of his character through his creation. That's what we call natural revelation or general revelation. And then there's an aspect of special revelation or supernatural revelation like the scriptures that teach us things about God that we couldn't just pick up through walking through the woods and beholding his creation. We have to actually learn them through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the revelation of the Word of God. And so through those two things, we can know aspects of God, but we can't fully know God. So when we say God's incomprehensible, we're not saying that nothing can be known about God. We're just saying that we cannot comprehensively or exhaustively know everything about God, that God is still a mystery. And on that note, I want to look over at Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I just want to, you don't have to turn there. I just want to recite this verse to you. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. And so what it's saying there is there's secret things. There's things that aren't revealed to mankind that are reserved for God alone. But all the things that are revealed 
through the Word of God, through the giving of the law in the Old Testament, which is what Deuteronomy was referencing, through the revelation in nature and in creation. Those things are for us, that we may know the glory of God, that we may know things about God, but we cannot know Him exhaustively or in His entirety. Now, with that premise, I want to play a little game. And this would have been a lot more interactive and fun if we would have been gathered together in purpose and in person like my original intent was, but we'll make do. If you're not driving and you're sitting in a chair in a room and you're watching on a computer or on your phone, then I want you to play this game with me. I want you to close your eyes. Now, I can't verify that you have your eyes closed because I'm not with you, but this is a popular game that R.C. Sproul kind of invented and I just want to carry it out. So with your eyes closed, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to picture uh, an ice cream. It can be an ice cream cone or it can be a bowl of ice cream. I just want you to picture a type of ice cream. And I just want to give you just a second. I want you to just picture a type of ice cream, whatever kind of ice cream you want to picture. Okay, have you got it? Did you picture a type of ice cream? I know you can't interact with me, but I'll just name off a few common ones. Uh, one of, some of you may have picked chocolate. You may have imagined you know, an ice cream cone um, with chocolate swirl on top like you would get from McDonald's or something like that. Some of you may went a little bit fancier and you picture the vanilla ice cream in the cone that they dip in the hot fudge and then it hardens. That's delicious. Some of you may have pictured you know, a coconut uh, milk ice cream because you can't have dairy. And, you know, me, myself, I pictured the ice cream on the stick, but it's coconut milk and it's got caramel inside and it's dipped in chocolate that's delicious. I have waiting in my freezer at home. Um, some of you may have went extravagant and pictured like cookies and cream or Rocky Road or something like that or like double mint chocolate chip. I don't know what um, Superman ice cream, Neapolitan. You know, there's a million different flavors of ice cream. But the point of that is, is you were able to picture, I trust that you were, you were able to picture in your mind a very vivid image of an ice cream, either one that you would like to have or one that you've recently had or had in the past that you're just like, man, that was some really good Ben and Jerry's or Haagen-Dazs or that was just some really great ice cream. Now, I want you to do another experiment. I want you to close your eyes again. And this time I want you to try to picture God the Father. I'll give you just a second to do that. In your eyes, I want you to try and picture an image that you would associate with God the Father. You got it? Now I'm trusting that some of you have, may have pictured something along the lines of Michelangelo's, um, you know, the Sistine Chapel where it has, you know, this really ripped and buff, muscular old man and he's got his arm stretched with his finger out trying to touch you know, the hand of Adam um, in that, that beautiful imagery of creation there. And then some of you may have uh, pictured you know, the old man sitting on the throne. Some of you may have pictured biblical themes like a super bright light, or maybe you pictured a rainbow, or maybe you pictured a fire, or maybe you pictured you know, you know, rushing waters, or maybe... You know, you picture thunder in the clouds or, you know, darkness or the volcano fire erupting on top of the mountain. You know, there's all those different biblical images that you could pull from that you may have pictured to associate with God. 
But now I, I just want to take a couple of those. And some of you may have pictured, you know, the typical picture of Jesus because it would never fail in a situation like this when you say, try to picture God the Father, you would picture Jesus and go against, you know, the rules, which is fine because, you know, Jesus says to Philip, he says, you know, truly, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. He says, you know, in Hebrews, it says he's the image of the in invisible God or he's the express image of the invisible God. So, you know, that's fine too. Uh, but the point is, is if I pointed and said, okay, say you picked a rainbow because, you know, Noah, they get off the boat. The rainbow is a symbol of the co a token of the covenant saying God will never judge the earth through flood again. Okay, and so you see that rainbow and you say, okay, God is expressed in that rainbow. But could I point to the rainbow and say, that's God? No, because the rainbow is not God. You don't bow down and worship the rainbow. It's just an express symbol of God. Like if, you say, okay, God is light. But could you flip it around and say light is God? No. Like you go walk into a room and you turn the light switch on, you're turning on God? No. You wouldn't say that. But you would say God is light because that's biblical, but you couldn't flip it around and say light is God. Or what about fire? God says, uh, Deuteronomy and Hebrews say that God is a consuming fire. So you can say God is fire. But could you say fire is God? You couldn't do that because... God is not completely comprehended or exhaustively known through those symbols. And so the point of this exercise, regardless of what image you conjured up, was to show the ice cream portion, was to show that you are actually capable of comprehending in your mind a complete and exhaustive image of an ice cream. But you are not able to comprehend in your mind a complete and exhaustive fully contained image of who God is. You can only comprehend an aspect of God. And the reason for that is because you are a finite being, meaning that you are not infinite, that you have a beginning and you have an end. As in this body, you have an end. Now, because of God and the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, granting you eternal life, and because of your spirit being given from God, you will spend an eternity in hell or an eternity in heaven. But as a finite being, you have a beginning. You were created. You were molded. And so, therefore, a finite being cannot contain the infinite God. And I know that's a lot of complex terms, but simply it just means this is, as an individual, you are not able to comprehend completely the entirety of God. So therefore, because you cannot comprehend in the entirety of God, you have through our language, through our symbols, allegorical references that point to God. So fire, we would not say fire is God, but we would say God is fire because fire reveals an aspect of who God is, that He is a consuming presence, that He is bright and powerful and can destroy things in His wake and He has this glory about Him and this overwhelming presence about Him. You would say that God is light, but you wouldn't say that light is God and that's because God expresses Himself in a light that's brighter than the sun, that you can't physically behold without it ruining your eyes, and that God is holy, and holy is God. Like, there's these different aspects of God that you wouldn't say completely and entirely sum up His character or who He is. You would just use those to identify or point to an aspect of God to help us better comprehend without comprehending the entirety of who He is. And I know this is a lot of wordplay, but I want to show you guys this because it's super important that you understand just how vast God is, just how big and how beyond comprehension He is. Because if you were able, in your being, in your mind, to comprehend 
the entirety of God, then that would mean that your mind or your being was greater than God. For example, if I was able to, you handed me a sheet of paper and it had some facts on it. Let's just say it had some mathematical equations on it. And I was able to memorize those mathematical equations and process them and understand the inner workings of those. Then my mind would be greater than that because my mind could contain the entirety of that piece of paper and all the things that were on that, all the information that was on it. But if my mind cannot contain all the information that's contained on that piece of paper or in this book, then that would mean that this book is greater than my mind because my mind doesn't have the ability to process and understand all of the inner workings. And that's why I always tell someone, so first practical application, because I said this is about shoe leather theology, theology that you can walk out. So the first practical application of this is that you can understand that you cannot understand it all. <laughs> I know that that's kind of a wordplay, but it's okay to say, I don't know. To me, that takes a weight off of my shoulders. I'm still not always okay with it because I want to know everything that can possibly be known. And so it's frustrating when I just simply don't understand something. And I will be the first preacher to stand up and say that this book right here, this Bible, I don't know it all. I don't know everything. There's questions that you can ask me that I don't have the answer to. And I think that that should be a huge relief. I actually think that that should be a comfort for us. That we don't have to know all the answers. That we don't have to know all the inner workings. And I think the best application to pull from that is that because you don't know all the answers and because you don't understand all the answers, that it's okay to have a little bit of disagreement. Now, I'm not saying that you should openly oppose God and say, God, you're wrong. God, you're terrible. But it's okay to not agree with something because you don't understand it. See, my son, Asher, and I always pull back to this equation because it's easy to understand. He likes cars. He likes to play with his Hot Wheels on the table and drive them around the house and pretend that they're flying or jumping over things and you know make the, the sound effects for cars. And he likes to watch the movie Lightning McQueen and when he jumps you know, through the rubble, Asher likes to jump his car and pretend like it's flying through the rubble. He likes cars. But he doesn't understand that the toy car can't hurt him, but the actual car can kill him. He doesn't comprehend that because it's beyond his mental capacity. So he sees a car, he would like to go to the car. If it's out in the road on the highway, he would like to go to the car. But if I let him as a parent go to the road and go to the car, he could get killed or seriously injured. And so he may not like what I'm doing in preventing him from going to the road, but what he doesn't know and can't understand is that I'm actually saving his life and helping him and preserving his existence. And so with God, because we can't understand all of His workings, because it's beyond us, Isaiah 55 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways higher than our ways. Because we cannot physically or mentally comprehend the entirety of God and all of His workings and all of His thought processes, it's okay to disagree with things sometimes. It's okay to have a little bit of anxiety and disagreement. Now, you shouldn't openly oppose Him. You should 
count it and reflect it back to his sovereignty that God knows better than we do. And so some of the things that happen, we have to attribute that to his sovereignty and say, okay, God, I don't understand this, but I know that you have my best interest as your top of mind. I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I know these things. I don't understand why I can't go to the road. I don't understand why I can't play with the big car that's driving the way that I play with the toy car. I don't understand that. And so there's a little bit of disagreement and a little bit of uncomfortableness on my part, but I'm going to trust you. And that should be a huge relief because I guarantee you, in your life, you have had something that's happened or not turned out the way that you've prayed and asked for it, but yet you've had disagreement because of it. You haven't always attributed it and said, well, God knows best. You may have said it, but I guarantee you in your heart and in your mind you didn't agree with it and you didn't like it. You know, you're praying for something and you're looking for something and you're holding out for something and you're believing for it and then the time passes and then it doesn't happen. And you're like, why God? Why did it happen that way? And you've got a little bit of angst and a little bit of anger and a little bit of disagreement. Let me tell you, that's okay. I always say be authentic. It's okay. Because God is bigger than your emotional meltdown. God is bigger than your anger. God is bigger than your, your not under, lack of understanding. God is bigger than your uncomfort, discomfort. God is bigger than your uncomfortableness. God is bigger than that. And He understands that you don't understand. Just like with Asher when he wants to go to the highway and I stop him, I'm okay that he's upset with me. Because he doesn't understand that that can kill him. I'm okay that he's upset with me. And so I try to explain it to him, knowing good and well that he can't comprehend what I'm trying to tell him. And then I hug him and I love him. And I tell him that I love him. And I tell him that I'm just trying to do what's best for him. And I tell him I'm just trying to protect him. And the same is true with God. He understands that you don't get it. He understands that you're un incapable of getting it. He's incomprehensible. You can't exhaustively know His ways and His workings. You can strive for that. You can push towards that. You can try to learn as much as you can, but you need to get the fact and grasp the fact that you don't get it all and you're not going to get it all. Faith and I were talking the other day and she shared with me this passage and I loved it. Um, and Oswald Chambers, he has a great devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. And I don't know if that's where the quote was pulled from, but Faith shared with me a quote of his and I don't know the exact quote, but basically it goes something like this. He said, there are no such thing there's no such thing as unanswered prayers. That's why the Bible doesn't speak of it. There's no such thing as a prayer that isn't answered. We created that because we don't like the answer that we get. We don't like God saying no. We don't like God saying not yet. We don't like God saying in my timing. We don't like that. If we, we like yes. Oh, and God didn't answer me. You know, so I'll, I'll keep trying, but God hasn't answered me. No, God could have just told you no and you just won't listen because you're incapable of listening because you can't comprehend His reasonings behind the no. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Look, practical application time. Quit being fake with God. Quit having this fake Christianity where you're like, yeah, God, everything's okay. My life, you know, it's all according to Your sovereign will and... It doesn't pan out the way that I like, but uh, I know that that's okay. And, you know, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to get upset. It's okay to be real. Right, look, read through the Psalms. 
How many times does David say, God, where are you at? Wake up and come to my rescue. Avenge me. Kill my enemies. Cut their heads off. You know, I'm not saying that you should pray for people's heads to be cut off, but I'm just saying David expressed himself fully to God. He said that you've placed your hand on me, God, and my bones waxed thin and I fainted from the power and the presence of your hand. Or he said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me because I need you. David expressed himself emotionally before God. And David was attributed as being the man after God's own heart. But we think that emotions are bad and that we should be unemotional, stagnant, 84 lumber Christians that can't express themselves in any other way than, well, it all works according to God's perfect timing. Yeah, it does. But if you keep pushing that down, it's going to come back. Express yourself to God. Get real with God. And He's going to respond to that authenticity. It's okay to not understand. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to express yourself and tell God you don't understand so you can't agree because you don't understand. But you're going to, after expressing yourself to Him, after saying, God, I don't get it. I'm upset. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I've been praying for this same thing over and over again. And I know that you haven't, you haven't responded to me in a favorable manner. You've either said no or not yet or in my perfect timing and I don't get that. I don't get why you wouldn't just say yes right now. I don't get why you wouldn't just respond to me the way that I want you to right now. I don't understand that. It's okay to express yourself that way. Express yourself. Have your moment. Get real with God. Get intimate with Him. And then throw it back onto God's sovereignty. After you've done all that, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did He say? Jesus, the perfect example, never sinned, never fell short, never missed the mark. What did He say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Can you remember? He said, he said Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. If it be possible, Your sovereign plan of the atonement of me, of Jesus Christ taking the sin of the world on Himself, taking all of our curse, becoming a curse Himself, and then going to the cross to die for our sins. He said, if it be possible, take this cup and let it pass from me. And then He said, but not my will, but Your will be done. So He prayed this powerful prayer of God, if there's any other way to go about this, if there's any other way to do this, Let's go that route. But if not, your will be done. And I think sometimes we think that we have to always be yes men and yes women. And we have to always say, okay, God, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. No. At the end of the day, that's where you should end up. But if you don't express yourself to God, naturally, the way that you feel and be authentic with God, then your Christianity is not an authentic Christianity. You're putting up a shield in front of God. You're not getting intimate with Him. Think about this. Think about your relationship with your spouse. Or if you don't have a spouse, think about your relationship with your kids. And the, or your relationship with your parents if you don't have kids. Think about always going to your significant other or your parent or your kid and always just agreeing with everything that they said and never, ever having any kind of emotional connection whatsoever. Think about that. If faith 
if all I ever did, let's flip around, if all faith ever did was say yes, that sounds great. I agree 100%. And she never expressed herself emotionally. There would be a lackluster intimacy with us because I would never truly know who she was. She would never have truly revealed her personality or her emotions to me. It would always just be, I'm getting a clone copy uh, Stepford wife and she would never have, we would never have that connection, that level of intimacy because she would always just be agreeing with what I say. If we don't express ourselves authentically before God, are we really expressing ourselves to Him at all? Are we really connecting with Him at all? Because when I look at the prayers of people throughout Scripture, when I look at the prayer of Moses, God was ready to wipe the children of Israel off the face of the earth, and Moses stood in the gap and said, God, no. Your glory, everyone would make fun of your glory and say that the God of Israel was a horrible God who just led them out of Egypt to kill them. He said, no, God, if, if you're going to do that, just wipe me out of the book too. Just kill me with them. And God wasn't willing to do that. And Abraham, when he stood before God, he said, God, if there's ten righteous in that city, don't, don't destroy it. Don't destroy it. Because they didn't agree with what they heard. They didn't understand why God was doing what He was doing. And so they challenged it. They didn't openly oppose God and they surrendered themselves to His sovereign will. But they were willing to express themselves. David in the Psalms, I don't understand why you've left me. I don't understand where you've went. I don't understand why my enemies are overpowering me. I don't understand why the wicked prosper. They were authentic before God. They didn't have this yes man mentality. They were authentic and then they went back and said, okay, God, even though I don't understand, even though I disagree, even though I can't comprehend it all, I'm going to give it to you and say you're still the sovereign Lord of the universe. And though I don't understand, I know that you're good. I know that you're righteous. I know that you've got our best interest as your top of mind. And I'm going to say, not my will, but your will be done. But first, I'm going to express myself. We're going to have a real relationship, God. And I think as Christians, we need that. I think we need to be able to vent to God. Think about Job. Right now through our weekly reading plan or our daily reading plan as we're reading through the Bible in a year, we're in the book of Job. Look at some of the things Job prays. And yet Job is said to be the most righteous man in the land, period. Even after saying all those things, God finally steps in and says, where were you at when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you at when I told the water and the seas it could only go so far? Stand up, gird up your loins like a man and come talk to me if you've got something to say. So God put him in his place and said, I'm still God. But even after that, God said to his three little wicked friends there that were super good comforters, he said, if Job doesn't pray for you, I'm not going to forgive you. And then he doubly blessed Job with twice the amount of possessions he had before Satan afflicted him and still attributed righteousness to Job. So Job expressed himself. God put him in his place. And I think that that's what we need. I think we need to be able to vent and express ourselves to God and say, God, I just don't get it. I just don't understand fully why things work out the way that they do. I just don't understand fully why things happen, why the bad things happen to people who try to be good. I know that they're not really good. I know that they're depraved. But why do bad things happen to people that try to be good? Why do Christians get sick and die? Why did people, great men like Ravi Zacharias, die of a, of a painful cancer? I don't understand these things. I don't understand. 
I don't understand how we can pray for someone to be healed for extended lengths of time and they still not be. I don't understand how, you know, all of these wicked people get rich and prosper and afflict Christians and the day of vengeance is put off. I don't, I don't get it. There will be a time when God exacts forth vengeance and redemption for the cancer that afflicted Ravi, for the sickness that afflicts Christians, for the wicked that persecute uh, good people. There, there will be that day. But I don't understand how that can be put off for so long a time. I don't get it. But I'm going to attribute it and say, not my will, but your will be done. But I am going to express myself authentically and be a real Christian. I'm not going to be a cookie-cutter fake Christian that just is a yes man and says, okay, God, yeah, that's great. Because then you're lying. And God knows how you feel anyway. So just express it, get it off your chest, vent to God, and then end it with, God, not my will, but your will be done. You're still sovereign, I'm not. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than mine, and your thoughts higher than mine. And I can't fully comprehend it. I can't exhaustively understand it. So I'm just going to say, God, that's okay. So there's a practical application to the incomprehensibility of God. That it's okay to not know everything. That it's okay to not understand. And because you don't understand, it's okay to have a little bit of disagreement there and a little bit of anxiety built up there from not understanding. It's okay to have pain. But in your pain, understand that God's still sovereign. And that He knows everything. And you don't. Now going off of that same feed, because I said we were going to do the incomprehensibility of God and the uncontainability of God. God is uncontainable. And I won't go to the passages, but I just want to reference two. They're, they're written in the uh, comment section on this video, so if you want to look them up later. Um, in 2 Chronicles, or yeah, 1 Chronicles 2.6 or 2 Chronicles 2.6, I don't remember right off the top of my head. Uh, Solomon, in discussing the temple, he makes this statement. He says, how can the temple, and I'm paraphrasing of course, how can this temple that's made with hands contain God? If the highest heavens cannot contain the fullness of God, how can this temple made with hands? So what is the purpose of this temple but yet so that I should offer incense and prayers before Him? And essentially in our terms, in our context, what that means is how can this church building, this one right here, how can this church building, so as you see this would have been a lot more effective if we were here in person and I could have touched the building and said this building right here, how can this contain God? It doesn't. It's just a building. It contains wood and metal and paint and chairs and things like that. And it can contain people and keep them out of the weather. But it does not contain God. What's the good of it then? But that I can offer prayers and incense. And what he's saying is that I can offer prayers and worship to God. So what's the purpose of the building but for us to gather together and be sheltered from the weather and the storm so that we can worship God no matter what the weather is. Even if there's storming, we can still worship God. Even if it's 100 plus degrees, we can still worship God. But we don't need the building to worship God. I think about the argument, or rather the discussion in John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman from Samaria. They're talking about worship. And she says, well, you Jews say that we should worship at the temple in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans say that we should worship on this mountain. And Jesus says they're both wrong. So right now, Jews know that we worship at the temple because salvation is from the Jews or through the Jewish religion to reveal Christ. But... The day is coming, and now is, when you'll neither worship at the temple in Jerusalem or on this mountain, but in spirit and truth, for God seeks such to worship Him. 
Because the, and remember, it was talking about location. What talking about method? It was talking about location. Where in spirit and truth, meaning you can worship God anywhere now. And so when we move forward into this new season, where we're going to put the building to the side for a minute and gather in yards and in fields and in pavilions and in people's houses and in different things, when we put the building to the side, we can still gather together and devote ourselves to communion and devote ourselves to prayer and devote ourselves to the Word and baptize individuals and have great fellowship and pray for one another and worship God in spirit and truth because we don't need a building because the building doesn't contain God anyway. The building is just set up so that we can come together in one location and worship God together. And we're going to show that we don't need a building. We're going to break beyond that and we're going to show that we're the people of God and we're going to worship Him in spirit and truth instead of just in a building. Because many people will gather together in a building and they don't no more worship God in spirit and truth than the man on the moon. They're just there in a building together so they say we've assembled together. No, you haven't. You're just pieces in a box. But we're going to truly learn what it is to assemble together as a group of people and worship God in spirit and truth, knowing that He is anywhere that two or three are gathered together in His name. Two or more are gathered together in His name. And so as Christians, as real Christians, we're going to break beyond the barriers that have held Christianity in a tradition form for so long. And we're going to say God is not contained by that tradition. God is not contained by that method. God is not contained in those teachings and those practices. Last thing, and then I'll wrap it up. This Bible, the Word of God, is a revelation, special revelation, supernatural revelation of who God is. But I can't say that this Bible is God. This Bible reveals God. This Bible points to God. When I say Jesus Christ is the Word, He is the Word, the Word of God, the Word spoken from all of eternity, the Word that upholds everything. And it's revealed in this. This is the Word of God, the canonized things. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is points us to God. This is our closest connection with God. And every single thing is absolutely inerrant and absolutely infallible and 100% true. But John says this. The Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21, verse 25. He says, The works that Jesus did were so magnificent and so numerous and there was such a great number and such a great amount of them that if they were written in detail that all of the books on the entire planet Earth could not contain them in their, in their entirety. And so what I want you to understand, I'm not dissing this at all. Be very careful with what, how you hear what I'm saying. What I am saying is God did more than what's just in this book. That God didn't stop with this book. That the gospel continues beyond this book. We use this book. This is our guideline. This is our lifeline. This is our connection to God. We use this book. But God didn't stop with the book. And He didn't wait till the book was formed to start. He did things before the book. And once the book was canonized and complete and we have the established Word of God, the Scriptures, He continued to do things. That's why Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that goes back to the immutability of God. That the way He operated in this book is the way that He operates now in the covenant of grace, in the new new dispensation that we're in. God still does these things. So I want to wrap up with this. That God's works are not contained by just what Scripture reveals to us. 
Those are our guidelines, and those are the vehicles through which God works. He gives us the, the description of the gifts, so we know that God's going to work through the gifts given to the church. We know that He's not going to do anything elaborate beyond that, that that's the way that He works. But He didn't stop there, is what I'm trying to say. That the gifts of healing didn't end with canonization. That the gift of tongues didn't end with canonization. That the prophecy and the words of knowledge and the words of wisdom and discernment and the interpretation of tongues and faith didn't end with the canonization of the book. That the things that God revealed in the book still continue to this day. And that going back to 1 Corinthians 13, that when that perfect is come, it's not a reference to the canonization of Scripture. It's a reference to the second coming of Christ. See, we won't need the human form of knowledge. We won't need the human revelation of prophecy. We won't need the... A gift of speaking in tongues when the perfect comes because then we won't longer, no longer know in part but we'll know fully as we're fully known. So God still operates. So you see how God's incomprehensibility, God's unchangeableness, and God's uncontainableness all work in conjunction in a practical method to show us that we can still operate according to the revelation of God in the Bible. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully I didn't confuse you. But to just summarize real quick, God is incomprehensible. Meaning that God cannot be fully known in His entirety because we are finite beings. Meaning that we are created beings. And God is infinite. And finite cannot contain infinite. We can know aspects of God through things like general revelation and special revelation. And we can know bits and pieces of who God is, but we cannot know Him in His entirety. And the application from that is, one, we are okay to not know everything. That it's okay to say, I just don't know. But I'm trying to learn. It's okay to not understand. And because you don't understand, it's okay to disagree. And you can express that to God and He's not going to strike you down with lightning because you express your disagreement. But at the end of the day, attribute it back to His sovereignty and say, not my will, but your will be done. God is uncontainable, meaning that He cannot be completely contained in anything. And the point or the application from that is we don't have to be in a building to worship God. We don't have to be in a building to be Christians and to be the church. We don't have to have a building we don't have to have a traditional framework. We can do something new. We can do something different as long as we follow the guidelines of the Word of God and we can still worship God in spirit and truth. Amen? Hopefully all of this made sense and hopefully you understand. I want to just close out with a word of prayer and then I want us to continue to press on and remember this coming week we're going to be at Wayne and Christine's property. I will post the address uh, this on Facebook uh, one day this week and, and then post a reminder and let everybody know that we're going to be meeting there. So, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to present your gospel. I hope that I've done so effectively and I hope that I haven't confused but that I've made clear. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you take the general applications from this message, that it's okay to not know everything, that it's okay to have misunderstandings, that it's okay to disagree sometimes that it's okay to worship outside of a church building, that it's okay to be the church that is a little bit different from traditional framework, that it's okay because you're not contained and you're not fully comprehended by those things. 
Lord Jesus, and as a reminder, a continual reminder, God, you didn't stop with the canonization of Scripture. That the canonization of Scripture contains a revelation of who you are, but it doesn't contain the entirety of who you are. That you cannot be contained by a, by a book. Though the book expresses who you are, and we can't even fully understand the book and the revelation, we have to know that the things that you did then, you do now. And you didn't stop when they closed the canon, but rather you continue. You continue to work in our day. And God, I thank you for that. Lord, help us to be an authentic group of people that are okay to hurt, that know that it's okay to deal with things and struggle with things, that know that it's okay to not have all your ducks in a row. Lord Jesus, that's just my heart. I just, I'm ready to see an authentic Christianity come from the ashes. I'm ready to see an authentic Christianity come. Because I feel like for such a long time, we felt that Christianity has to look like this traditional framework. And Lord, as we played the game today with the ice cream cones, and as we played the game, you know, with trying to, to picture or come up with an image that, that points us to God. Lord, even as I'm thinking about, you know, the traditional framework of Christianity, I, I have images come in my head, and I'm sure that everyone does, Lord, of, of what we think that a Christian should look like, or what we think that church should look like, or what we think that worship should look like. And we have all these ideas and all these frameworks, and, and because we have those, Lord, when something comes along that doesn't look like that framework, I'm afraid that we'll miss it. Lord, I'm ready for an authentic Christianity to come along, even if it doesn't meet our, our mental picture or our traditional framework or our idea of what it should be or shouldn't be. Lord, help this group of people, myself included, to be real, to be authentic. And Lord, even if it rubs some people the wrong way, even if it doesn't look like what everything else looks like, let us be real. Because, God, we're in this to please you, not man. And Paul says, if I should seek to be uh, to please men, I shouldn't be a servant of God. And, God, I'm all about pleasing you. And I think that as Christians, we should be all about pleasing you, authentically pleasing you. Not pleasing man with what they think would please you, but pleasing you in sincerity. Jesus, I love you. And I pray for these people. Lord, for those that are watching that are down on the Gulf Coast, I pray that they stay safe from the storm. Lord, for those that are watching everywhere else, Lord, I pray that you bless them. And I pray that you just pour out your Spirit upon all of us, just like you promised in the book of Acts. Lord, I'm interested to see what this next season looks like. And I pray that you reveal yourself in a mighty and in a wonderful way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.